This is exactly targeted toward moving QuickBooks desktop enterprise users to QuickBooks Online Advanced. That's the parallel. They're trying to fill the feature gaps with these acquisitions. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. And we're back from weeks and weeks of travel, it feels like. I'm back in the closet. I feel like I haven't <laughs> recorded in the closet in four weeks, five weeks. I feel we've, like. we've been seeing each other in person. It's been so strange. A, th- a, th- a three-week run, right? Yeah. We were at uh, QuickBooks Connect last week in San Jose. And before that, where were we? Uh, Acuity, Acuity Con in Atlanta. And then before that, Intact Advantage. And then before that. <laughs> in Vegas. Yeah. That, that was, I think it was, it. it was just three weeks, but it feels like five weeks. It just felt like a lot. Um, and we have good shows coming out. We have Intact Advantage uh, episodes coming out, and then we'll follow those right up with the QuickBooks Connect coverage. So, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It's good, though, to be back. And I'm looking forward to talking, you know, just the news, right? Just the news. As you know, regular news. And welcome to our new listeners. I know lots of people at these conferences have uh, discovered us for the first time. Um, hopefully, uh, we helped you subscribe on your phone. And hopefully, you get notified that this episode had just came out and you uh, are happily listening to us. Yeah. Thanks for everyone who stopped by at our booth, or I should say our table at QuickBooks Connect and said hi and grabbed a sticker. Oh, and shirts. Everybody's wearing the, oh, shirts. Yeah, the shirts. People are taking photos in the shirts. People are buying the limited edition cassette tape shirts that are on our uh, merch store, Yep, which is exciting. I'm actually surprised people are buying them. They came out so cool. My daughter, we went to the movies and she wanted to go into Hot Topic. Is it Hot Tropic? Hot Topic at the mall? Hot Topic. Hot Topic. I'm way too old. Like You can be like, okay, <laughs> boomer. Is that like the, the trend right now? You could say that to me. Oh yeah. I'm just going to say that to you now every time. But I was in there because they have all those t-shirts on the wall and they have hundreds of them. Right, yeah. And I was just in there wearing my cassette tape shirt, my cloud accounting podcast cassette tape shirt. I was like, this is just as good as any shirt they're selling in that store. You know, maybe Hot Topic will pick it up as sort of this like tongue in cheek uh, thing that like the teens start wearing. Oh, that would be our dream. Right? Like, oh, we could retire. And we, and we sell a million <laughs> sell of them. one million cloud accounting podcast cassette tape shirts. That'd be the best. But David, I have to clarify something. You're not a boomer, right? No. Techn- you're a, I'm Gen, you're Gen X. Xer, right? Okay, good. Because I, c- I couldn't do this podcast with a boomer, oh, I don't think. The, I mean, <laughs> we need to apologize now, Blake, to all our boomer listeners. It would be like doing it with my dad or something like that, you know? By the way, have you seen that Saturday Night Live skit of like the son and dad doing the podcast together? Oh, yeah. How did we not talk about this? It's like an advertisement as a way to like bring yourself together as this like father son podcasting kit and it comes with the microphones. It, 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 <laughs> and that's so you can talk we'll to your put son. put that in the show notes, the link to this. So, those of you who have not seen this, it is absolutely genius. If you really like podcasts and you listen to a lot of podcasts, I'm sure you've heard ads for Squarespace. They, they, they put a Squarespace ad in the middle of this thing. It's hilarious. It's just a whole level of genius for sure. It's great. So, David, what else is new? I think you got a puppy, right? I got a puppy. So, that's- Why good. would you do that to yourself? I got a puppy during all this crazy travel. So, but yeah. it's good now. Like, she's sleeping most of the night now. It's getting easier already. You know, she's 10 weeks old. She's a lot of fun. Um, I'm also on my PTA adventure still. All right. You're doing the books for the PTA, right? I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just, I audited the books. I finally got the audit done. Right. And then I just do the monthly reconciliation. So I'm not the treasurer. But of course, you start getting involved in your PTA and you'll find this out soon right? when your son starts going to school. You just, mm-hmm. There's not enough people on the PTA. So you get sucked into every project. Right. So we had a walkathon. You know, of course, I'm like, why are we doing this with paper? We should move it to the cloud. <laughs> so, so I found that uh, tons of Google searches. I finally found like software to do a school walkathon with. It's an app called Rally Up. I start going round and round and round. I start chatting with them. Turns out they're even in Tucson which is like crazy that I had to go 30 searches down in Google to find an app on the same street as a kid's school. Anyways, uh, this app is great because now it's all in the cloud. People can go on. They were able to uh, do pledges. And then I upload the kids' running activities in at the end. Uh. But the struggle I'm having that we're having is unlike cloud accountants, you could just say, tell your clients, if you don't want to go to the cloud, I'm not going to be your accountant or bookkeeper. Right. Right. You can't really do that to parents of kids at your school. So we still have, so we're trying to balance this. Like people are still doing paper-based pledges and trying to balance that out with like, you know, a subset of uh, oh, online yeah. pledges and we got to reconcile everything. It's, so it's, just, it's, it's a very big pain, but the nice thing is it's, it's setting up nicely for the future for next year. They can just clone this and rerun it. Taking the PTA to the cloud, David. I know. I'm getting real genuine life experiences here. Fighting the good fight. Exactly. Yeah. What about you? Well, uh, I am one month in at Giraffe, 
doing the marketing there and having a blast doing it. It was um, it was fun being at QuickBooks Connect and doing both the podcast and doing draft stuff. We had that awesome party with Gusto. Really, really cool to be working with Gusto on uh, marketing stuff because I've always admired them and I was a customer from when I think they were 12 people in San Francisco. So now it's what, you know, hundreds, if not close to a thousand people working there. My first Giraffe webinar is scheduled for Friday, November 22nd on CPA Academy. We'll have the link in the show notes. It's all about leveling up your financial outputs, how to save time and add value and delight your clients. The idea being that we have spent the last five to 10 years in the cloud accounting space, figuring out how to streamline our inputs, get the data in, right? OCR, what, what you've been doing, right? With auto entry, yeah. David, um, scanning, uh, bank rules, digital payments, all that stuff is about getting the data into the system. Well, what, what happens when you close the books and you need to go report to that client? Not a lot of firms have figured out how to standardize the reporting that they do and streamline that. So that's what Giraffe does. Giraffe is all about forward-looking, right? Cr not just creating dashboards, reports for your clients, but also planning for them out into the future. So that's what excited me about joining. And we're doing our first webinar on Friday, November 22nd. So uh, please join us if you want to learn more about how you can uh, up your value as a bookkeeper, accountant, controller, or CFO. And you'd get CPE for, for that, I think I saw. Uh, yeah, it's a CPE webinar. So it's on cpaacademy.org. So you can go there and just search for my name or search for Giraffe uh, and you'll find it or you can click the link that we'll have in the show notes. Cool. Um, yeah. I think uh, it's probably it for, for our updates. Um, we should try to jump in the news. Before that, we did get a review. Yay. Um, do you want to read it? This is from Jeff Maddox, CPA. The best, five stars. By far the best and easiest way to stay updated with the latest happenings in cloud accounting and technology, David and Blake's insightful commentary is informative and entertaining. So much learning going on here. Too bad it doesn't qualify for CPE. Well, if you want some CPE, join me on my webinar on November 22nd. <laughs> let's, let's get to the news, right? I don't know what to even start with. There's There's been a lot. Since we were just at QuickBooks Connect and we just dropped that episode that we recorded live there, which by the way, if you haven't heard it, you got to hear the live at QuickBooks Connect episode with David DiNardo and Valerie Heckman all about what's new for accountants. So follow on to that. We should talk about the Intuit news, right? Intuit has acquired ChronoBooks. Yes. So ChronoBooks is a online backup software for QuickBooks Online. So... Which is funny because I, you know, I hear the gears turning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like you're not supposed to need a backup for QuickBooks Online, right? But I think the value for ChronoBooks or the 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 reason people use ChronoBooks isn't necessarily. I mean, disaster preparation is one reason, right? You don't always want to. You don't want to necessarily trust uh, the vendor with all your data, right? You want to have a backup just in case something terrible happens. But also version control. Right, which is something you had in desktop, but you didn't have it online. That's where I think it really comes in because the the fundamental like, oh, my hard drive crashed, I need to have a backup. I think that goes away in the online world. But you just could hire a temp employee who does a bunch of bad data entry for, for two days. Yep. And you want to go back to the way it was two days ago, or you have an app that you didn't set up correctly and it stuck a bunch of bad data in your your QuickBooks online file. Right. So that's where the reason you want to have some sort of backup tool to kind of let you turn back time. And so Intuit has acquired ChronoBooks and they're going to be bundling it with QuickBooks Online Advanced, which will enable QuickBooks Online Advanced users to revert, restore past changes of uh, QBO, which has been a highly requested feature among advanced users, according to this blog post by QuickBooks. And what's interesting about this, I was kind of uh, you know digesting this a little bit, them bundling this with advanced does make sense a little bit because if people that are still like using QuickBooks desktop enterprise, right? Right. More than likely, they probably have multiple hands in the QuickBooks file. Mm -hmm. They have an AP clerk, an AR clerk. They have people in the warehouse touching QuickBooks, right? And the risk of people messing up the data and them having to restore backups probably a lot higher than a smaller company that just has one bookkeeper in the data file, right? And so I could see where this actually might help in make it a... A safer decision for an enter QuickBooks Enterprise customer to move to QuickBooks Online in advance because now they're going to have that little bit of peace of mind solved. And I think you nailed it, David. This is 
exactly targeted toward moving QuickBooks desktop enterprise users to QuickBooks Online Advance. That's the parallel. They're trying to fill the feature gaps by with these acquisitions. So that's well, congratulations to Nate and the um, the team at Chronobooks, which I think might just be Nate. I think it's been a, a pretty small one person show. I think oh. he did. Yeah. And it's fast. He built, started the app, I think, two and a half years ago. Well, and I'll, I'll make a prediction here, which is that Intuit acquires an inventory management system like a really robust one at some point this year or in 2020, I mean, because that's one of the big gaps too with QuickBooks uh, Enterprise. Well, let's save let's save our predictions for a predictions episode. The first okay. uh, on January first. So you I didn't hear that, listeners. Yeah. I'm gonna save that one. Okay, got <laughs> we it. Can save that one for the, our predictions. All right, cool. Uh, any other Intuit news, or should we talk zero? Yeah, I think we could talk about zero because zero had their ZeroCon London, which I was really surprised the amount of announcements that came out of ZeroCon London because wasn't ZeroCon in Australia just like three weeks ago or Brisbane? And there was no announcements. Like there was barely any announcements, and it feel, felt like there was a meaty, meaty announcements this week, this time. Some of the announcements were UK specific. One of the big ones was UK specific. Well, we didn't get to go to London, obviously, not this year. Maybe, maybe sometime. And we would in the have future. died to tack on that on the other side of First <laughs> Connect. Like we would have eventually died. There's just too much, too much travel. But we did see the blog post. So uh, this is what came out of ZeroCon London. All right, fill me in. First is Zero's half year 2020 results. Zero being a New Zealand, Australian company, reports twice a year. And so they reported that they surpassed 2 million subscribers globally, ending the first half with 2.057 million subscribers. Here's what is interesting about that it took Zero a decade, over a decade, to add their first million subscribers. Well, it just took two and a half years to add the next million. So that is exponential accelerating growth. Yeah. Right. And I think that's uh, true as QuickBooks Online as well, right? They're both seeing this amazing 35, 40% growth. But it is funny, even like the old QuickBooks uh, Online charts, right? The first decade was like 60,000. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Right. So we're starting to get to, well, like you've said in the past, with Zero and QBO added together, we're getting to desktop numbers, past desktop uh, yeah. QuickBooks numbers. So that represents growth of 30% in annualized monthly recurring revenue and total subscribers. So Zero is doing about 30% growth, a little more than that in terms of their revenue. They had a net profit after tax of $1.3 million, which is the first positive first half net profit result they've had yet. So profitable and growing 30% annually and over 2 million subscribers. So really good. They also announced an initiative called Net Zero at Zero. They are committing to offset 100% of carbon emissions starting Jan March 31st uh, and going forward. So does that mean all their um, sales reps that have those little uh, BMW minis, <laughs> they're going to now get Teslas? Uh, may, maybe, or they're going to buy carbon. Uh, I think they'll be buying carbon uh, credits, carbon credits or something trees, like that. Yeah, but yeah, so so zero is saying we're going to go carbon neutral, which uh, it's a nice you know nice thing to see, right? Um, for a, a software company, that is what's new in terms of the like the big money announcements, uh, initiatives like that. What about product? Yeah, what about the product? Right, because we we saw some really interesting product released at QuickBooks Connect. What is going on with product at zero? Well, the big thing in the UK. Now, unfortunately, this is only a UK feature at this time, but I have my fingers crossed right now that it comes to the US soon. Zero has teamed up with TransferWise, the payments company, to offer a domestic bill pay solution for UK customers directly inside of Zero that allows customers to pay bills using their existing bank account inside of Zero. This is what we were talking about the other day, David, is our dream. When I misinterpreted Zero's other announcement, <laughs> yes, that was like, this is what it should be doing. And it, it, apparently, they coded it up three weeks later and announced it. So, yeah, exactly. They, 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 they heard you, David, and they said, oh, we have to do this for ZeroCon London. So, what is this replacing? Well, in the UK, people are used to downloading what are called batch files from Zero. So, you select all the bills that you want to pay. You download, uh, I believe it's a CSV file. It's a, it's a like a, you know, a spreadsheet of payments you want to make and account numbers and you upload that to your bank uh, and then that sends out the payments to your vendors uh, via their equivalent of ACH, right? their electronics payment system, which is also a lot faster than ours, by the way. Now, 
that's annoying because you have to download a file, upload a file. It's not particularly secure. Also, some banks in the UK don't accept those batch payment files, so it was always a pain. So now, with the TransferWise integration, you get a secure API connection, digital audit trail. You select what bills you want to pay in zero, and you click a pay button, and all of the payments go out via TransferWise's digital payments system automatically. And all of that gets reconciled in zero uh, in one click through a single statement line. And you can see the status of the payments in, quote, almost real time, unquote, uh, in zero. And you can also send remittances to your suppliers. So, I mean, this is this is so cool. It's, it's so really, obvious. Really I, like, yeah. it, everybody should be doing this. Like, if I'm in my accounting system and I have bills to pay. Why can't I just pay them? It's great <laughs> that they sync to an app, but then I have to go open up bill.com or I open up Veeam or open up whatever other payment service I'm using. Yeah. And my bills are there. It's great. And it's not work, really. I mean, open up a browser, I put check mark, I say pay now, and it just pays those online through this other service. But if I could just cut all that clicking and just hit the pay by button now, and it'd be great to have more than one button, right? Pay by TransferWise, pay by Veeam, pay by bill.com, like whatever services I want to pay that vendor with. Um, because some of the times it might eventually be vendor to vendor. One vendor wants their payments from bill.com. Another vendor wants their payments from you know, some other service. So. so some of our listeners may be asking, what is TransferWise? Because it's bigger in the UK than it is anywhere else. TransferWise is a British online money transfer service that was founded in January 2011 by two Estonians. They have 4 million customers who collectively transfer around $4 billion per month. What's interesting about TransferWise is that they route most payments in a different way than the traditional banking system. They do not transfer the sender's money directly to the recipient in the case of SWIFT. Um, and they do international transfers, by the way. They actually match the amounts with other TransferWise users that are sending money the other way around. So they net out transfers and then use the pools of funds to pay out transfers via a local bank transfer. So they actually started out as a way to get around wire transfers internationally and save money that way. Yeah, which is smart because I think if you do a wire transfer, every yeah. 15 people that touch that money on the 15 stops all want a fee. And they yep. basically are getting rid of all those those fees along the way. So now, like imagine you're a UK customer. Um, you, you can now pay vendors, I believe through TransferWise, like all over the world, uh, directly from inside of Zero. So I hope that we see that uh, here in the US really soon. That would be just awesome. But there was a feature update for the Americas that was announced the update from Zero is a Go Cardless integration. So this is not on the accounts payable side. This is on the receivable side. Go Cardless is an ACH debit payments provider. And now United States and Canadian users can integrate Zero with Go Cardless to accept recurring ACH and preauthorized debit payments through Go Cardless for Zero. So I can, instead of having to take a, a credit card from my customer, right, which is the current the current thing is... Uh, I can set up like a Stripe auto charge with a credit card. I can now do automatic ACH as well, which is something I was waiting for because like it's you know much cheaper to do ACH. Got it. And I didn't know uh, Go Cardless was in the US now as well. Uh, and this is important, right? Because according to research from NACHA, which is the uh, group that oversees ACH in the US, by 2020, ACH is going to become the most widely used B2B payment method in the US. 80% of businesses in the US now prefer to receive their B2B payments via ACH debit. Well, 53% of customers or consumers, I should say, share the same payment preference for recurring bills. So, And, and, and the reason for that is why? Because <laughs> you don't have to get a paper check and you don't have to pay credit card fees. It's right? the fees. You, it's the fees. Yeah. You're not paying like with Stripe. We've been able to automate stuff with Stripe for a while, but it's you know 2.9% of the transaction, which in B2B payments can be a lot of money because these are big payments. And instead you're paying, you know, 50 cents, a dollar, maybe a few bucks at most usually with an ACH. So pretty cool. Um, so that is, I believe, all of the zero news this week that I spotted. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. Many times when choosing a payroll service, you have to choose between a new startup with a great app or an established company whose tech may feel a little behind the times. With OnPay, you get the best of both worlds. A great app from an established company that's providing payroll for over 30 years in all 50 states. OnPay is an easy-to-use, full-service payroll with simple, straightforward pricing and it includes all their features. Employee self-onboarding, HR tools, health insurance, workers' comp tracking, and 401k. 
And with an accountant's dashboard and partner program combined with best-in-class integrations with Zero and QuickBooks, OnPay is the right fit for all your clients, whether they have just one or 500 employees. They also handle all the complicated stuff that other payroll providers don't, like agricultural payrolls, including Form 943, multi-state payrolls, and employees with H-2A visas. I'm really excited to tell you that OnPay is offering an exclusive promo code only for the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast to get three free months of OnPay payroll service for any of your clients that you set up by February of 2020. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash onpay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-N-P-A-Y. And use code CAP3FREE when you sign up your clients. That is CAP, the number three, F-R-E-E. And to be clear, you cannot get this promo anywhere else. It's only available to the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast. So I got to piggyback off of that um, with some square news. So I mean, or in a way, like I think I have a group of thing uh, uh, articles here that are all a little bit related to you know these tech companies becoming banks that we constantly talk about. Mm-hmm. Three weeks ago, four weeks ago, we, t- we covered that Square has an API for Square Books. Yeah, and we we've been talking about how hey, like Square is you know possibly into its biggest threat in North America someday. Not right now, but someday. someday. Yes. So Sam Bynes, who's uh, he's from Down Under. There's a blog called Livewire, and he wrote a blog post about how Zero needs to square up. Like he observed just as well. Maybe listen to the podcast, Sam. <laughs> if you if you, you could have uh, put a link or a plug in there for us, um, he noticed that Square also has this general ledger now. So he wrote a kind of a point of view article. But basically, his premise is: Is Zero focused on the wrong 800 gorilla? 800 pound gorilla into it being the 800 pound gorilla when there's this other one out there called square. And he kind of questions a little possibility that zero may not have the correct long-term business model because square has no entry-level product to the market. Square reaches entry-level small businesses. QuickBooks does. QuickBooks has QuickBooks self-employed, right? They're, they're reaching people at that basic, basic, basic level of the market and square isn't in there. Right. And then, but, he, go ahead. Well, I was going to say like QuickBooks you know, self-employed targets those freelancers, whatnot. I guess yeah. Square is targeting primarily retail. It seems to me, or am I wrong on that? Not I guess they have service providers as well. Anybody right? that's any any small business that wants to get paid is who right. Square is probably targeting at this point. And I have another Square article that'll go into more of what Square is doing a little bit, and and really argues that you know Zero is now fighting two gorillas, right? Right, not just Intuit anymore. And then, um, but you know, like you said. If the market grows enough, then everybody wins. Even if somebody just grabs you know, into its old desktop share of the market, yeah, <laughs> everybody and, and wins. He, and he brought up a couple of other interesting points. I thought it was a good observation. He actually mentioned that Intuit might be in prime fighting condition to take on Square as a competitor because Intuit's been battle hardened from fighting Zero. Mm. Like, like because the last eight years, Intuit's been really going at it with zero so hard that they're ready to fight somebody like Square. Maybe they would. Do you remember Intuit? Maybe they still have it. They had like a swipe or two that they came out with after Square started. Go payment. I think it's still available. Yeah. Yeah. I had a go payment swiper because in addition to my Square one and I tested them both out and I, I feel like the go payment one, I never see that anywhere. I never see anyone using that, but I'm always seeing the Square reader. Well, I've never seen a go payment in the wild. It's very rare. Yes. Right. It, 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 Square is like in this, I've said this before. Like if you ask small businesses in North America what they've heard of, they've heard of QuickBooks, Square, and maybe Constant Contact. Nobody else exists. Avalara, you don't exist. Bill.com doesn't exist. Nobody exists. It's just, you know, but that just shows right. how big Square is. Um, the one other thing he brought up in his article, which is interesting, is Square is currently, currently playing nice with both Intuit and Zero. The, the, everybody's using each other's APIs. People are moving data back and forth. But just like Intuit and Zero don't integrate, what happens if Square decides, hey, guess what, Intuit Zero, we're not going to agree with you anymore. And now customers are going to, you know, have to make decisions here. Right. Right. Um, and 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 if Square offers a, offers a GL, you don't need an integration to a zero GL or an Intuit GL. So it's it's a very it's a good article. Um, that's kind of interesting, and this ties into another article that I saw about Square, which is like where they'll be in ten years. And this article was on the Motley Fool, and really the genesis of this article was comments made by Jamie Dimon of Chase. So he's the uh, CEO of Chase. They had Investors Day earlier this year, and he was just talking about. Um, in general, the gist is is 
about all the, he was talking about all the things Square has done over the last 10 years that Chase could have done and they just didn't do it. Yeah, that was funny. Like, here he is, the CEO of Chase. I mean, he's been there for a while, right? And he's sort of admitting, like, we dropped the ball on this. Yeah. And, you know, and they're talking about how, you know, Square has their Square Capital and Square uh, Cash cash accounts that are now at like 15 million, right? It's up 2x from 2017 to 2018. Um, they Do you know that Square, I know we talked about before things, do you know that you can buy and sell stocks commission free with Square now? I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, do that. And Square is also in the crypto game, right? And so, I'm kind of like looking at this more and more. It's that this race between tech and the uh, tech companies, right? Right. And, you know, will Square become a bank before the banks become a tech company? Right. And it reminds me of the whole like Netflix versus HBO streaming thing. Mm-hmm. Netflix really bet that they would build custom shows faster than they, HBO could become a streaming company. Right. And that, that race has kind of been going on. And I have, I have some more thoughts on the streaming wars with TV. We'll get into because <laughs> I think it ties back well, to our industry we'll talk about later. No, it's, it's very relevant because my, uh, my wife says that all of the moms in her mommy group are obsessed with Disney Plus now. I have an article on Disney Plus. We have to, we'll, 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 I don't want to jump over to that just yet. Because um, really, I want to just. Maybe if we have time at the end. Yeah. So this transitions to some other articles because I, I, and I, I found some old tweets. Like in 2011, I've been talking about how, like, you know, Google, Apple, Amazon are the new banks, right? And then I was tweeting about it in like 2014. And mm-hmm. well, guess who now wants to become a bank? Google this week announced that they are becoming a bank. Really? Wow. I actually found this a little in- entertaining. So you, do you remember the uh, My Payroll HR episodes we did? Of course. How could I forget? And the ACH money movement company. Uh, Cache. Cache. Right. This project, the, the bank name that, that Google is using is codename Cache. Oh, interesting. Which, I, which yeah. I find funny because maybe a lot of people were searching for Cache. Where's my money? Where's my paycheck? Where's my bank? And oh, then and it, was, the, it turned out to be a big search term. And that's why Google- It's not a bank codename Cache. It's the project. It's a, yeah, so this, the, yeah, the project is codenamed Cache, but I just thought that was uh, a little bit entertaining. Or maybe it's just cash, right? <laughs> yeah, cash. Yeah, it could be cash, yeah. It, it has to be cash way. because it's banking, right? Cash, yeah, banking. There we go. yeah. What is it exactly? So Google's going to uh, partner with Citigroup. And then also there was a credit union. I lost the name of the credit union here. Stanford uh, Federal Credit yeah, Union. Stanford Federal Credit Union. And what they're trying to do is they're not really trying to be a ba- bank because obviously Google's under all this tech scrutiny right now, right? Mm-hmm. Monopoly uh, types of views. So they're trying to partner with traditional FDIC or NCAU insured accounts and just kind of doing like a data play so that they don't get the scrutiny. So they're kind of trying to keep some separation level there. Yeah, this is what a lot of the apps are doing is they're partnering with a traditional bank. They're building an app on top of that bank. And so to the end user, it seems like it's Google's account, right? Or Google is the one providing them all these features and stuff, but it's the bank underlying it is doing all the regulatory stuff. Yeah. And, and it, uh, it's interesting because they talk about how Google's really trying to jump on the mobile wallet game. So this is a smart checking account, basically. I mean, and we've seen this a lot from, uh, there's plenty of these. What was the one that broke recently? We reported on that, right? Chime. Chime, yeah. Chime went down because one of the apps in their stack fell apart and they couldn't re- make payments or whatnot. So like, it seems like Google wants in on this too. Yeah. And so there's, yeah, they're trying to get on this. Everybody wants to get on this, right? Because everybody, it's data, right? Oh, I know what people are spending their money on and they can advertise more. Well, this is a dream. Like as a Google advertiser, right? If you can advertise specifically to people who bought these types of products, then that's great. That's even better than their web search data. It's their purchasing history. The Washington Post had some different stats and some of the articles didn't have. They're talking about payments, right? E-wallets, right? And so obviously, Apple's winning payments, right? People are paying with their Apple Watch, paying with their Apple phone. You see it happening at stores everywhere. But Google's only in third place in that. Do you know who number two is? No. Who? Starbucks. Oh, yeah. Everybody has a Starbucks wallet. I'm kind of amazed that you can't use it to pay for other stuff. Like that would be genius. Yeah. They start using it at other stores. It, it's it's so many people have a Starbucks wallet. It's amazing that that's bigger than Google. Well, and it's so easy because, you know, I just pull out, I open the wallet in my phone and I find the, the Starbucks card and I just scan it, right? And that debits my balance. And it's so much easier than like tap. It works always. <laughs> There's no guessing. Like, and I'll sit there at Starbucks and I see people of all ages 
use it. Yeah, and I can carry a physical card because it's just a code I scan, right? It's just a number, basically. It's although that makes me question the security of it, but that's another matter. But you're just but you're, but it's not tied to your bank accounts. It's very simple, oh, right? Yeah. All you do is you, you you're, you're basically it's like a it's an electronic gift card. Yeah, but it is a they, gift card. That's what they such started. A good at. job. Yeah, yeah. it's so, they. Anyways, the point is, is for all the people that have a Google phone in their pocket, Starbucks app and paying by the. Paying at Starbucks is still bigger than Google Payments across the board. Um, going somewhere with this, right? So Revolut, we talked about them before. They're seeking $500 million to staff their global expansion. So they're another neobank. They right now have 1,800 employees. They want to staff up to 5,000. There's another company called Payro, P-A-Y-R-O. So they are just going to offer payroll financing to small business owners. So, hey, if you don't have enough money in your payroll checking account and you got to pay your employees... You can use this app to get a quick instant loan to pay your employees, right? Um, there's another mobile banking app uh, called Tide. They just added a QuickBooks integration. They're launching. You know, All these new banks are launching. Yep. Well, this leads into an article I found in Wired Magazine. The title of the article is, the future of banking is dot, 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 you're broke. And it's a bit of a scathing article about the whole neobank future. What is so bad about all these apps that make banking easy? Because ultimately, if they're putting a slick veneer in tech and over banking services, right? And ultimately, they're just moving maybe the payroll cycle up three days. So you're still broke. You're just getting paid three days earlier. It's kind of the argument. Oh, it, and, you mean the ones that uh, will do payday loans, essentially? Well, that or there's other ones that are doing budgeting, right? And you know, they, they, mm-hmm. they're calling this all revolution in consumer banking. And and ultimately, nobody can really ease the real pains that that are out there, right? Which is of people not having enough people paycheck. living pay, paycheck to paycheck. It's paycheck, exactly, right? Like you just can't do it. And eventually, all of these neo banks are gonna. Ha- they're all their business models are exactly the same as all the current. Banks. You make some interest, money on the interest, you do loans, right? They're they're selling the exact same services just with a fancy veneer, which means they're gonna eventually have to charge the same rates as banks. They're not gonna be able to let people overdraw their account by a hundred dollars. That's VC money going out the door when they let people do that. Ultimately, this is interesting because like my observation on this is my experience from years ago, even going to events like Money 2020 or the fintech type conferences, right? A lot of people are always trying to attack personal finances. And you could argue every single person should be tracking their budget and working on their personal finances. But the reality is there might be 16 million people that do it as a hobby and that's it. This is why Quicken, which is originally into its original product that led to QuickBooks and everything else, never grew for 30 years. You had basically 16 million personal finance hobbyists using it. And nobody else, is, nobody grows and tracks their personal finances. And so ultimately, there may not even be a market for all these products long term. Well, especially if Chase and the bigger banks catch up and offer slicker apps and no fee accounts and all of these services that the neobanks are offering. So, yeah. so I have one argument in favor of the neobanks, and it's really the Google offering that's coming, the cash project they're working on. Because like you said, Google is going after data. They don't care about bank fees. They want to know what is your purchasing history so that they can target ads on behalf of their business customers, ad users. So if that data is valuable enough, then Google can subsidize the whole banking operation, right? What it costs to do that and not charge fees. And that could be. Oh yeah, I mean, it, go, it, it just raises the price of a Google ad because now they can track that Google ad all the way to somebody's bank account. Oh, yeah, and, well, and I, as an advertiser, would <laughs> yeah. be willing to pay a lot more to target people who are absolutely, we know, one hundred percent buying stuff that I want to sell them, as yeah. opposed to just searching for it. Yeah, but that's solving for the advertisers, right? That's not going to make you. You're still going to be broke, <laughs> right? Right. right? Like that's not solving. Like that's the problem. I think all these neo banks are doing. They're promising this revolution right. of how we're going to save everybody from these pains, but they really can't. That's that's the point of this article. So it's worth reading. It's looking into. It's worth thinking about and uh, chatting about. It, it is interesting, and it, it, it there is a broader discussion, you know, as to like why Americans live paycheck to paycheck. <laughs> One argument is that the gains of automation of the economy have gone to, you know, the top 1%, et cetera, right? And that that we need to redistribute uh, income better. And that's why people are living paycheck to paycheck. But part of me says, it's just because that's the nature of people. 
that people, if, if they make more money, they'll just continue to live paycheck to paycheck and consume as much as they possibly can. And what these apps are doing is allowing them to consume a little bit sooner. And so, yeah. uh, and on the, on the other side, letting the advertisers figure out ways to sell people more stuff maybe they don't need. I mean, this is like a fight club discussion. Yeah, but our entire economy <laughs> relies on the consumer economy. So, yes. right, it's, it's, <laughs> we have to keep it going. Cradle the grave, cradle the grave uh, advertising. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, you, you, you said something about how these apps are not actually helping people budget and the people are not actually interested in budgeting and Quicken, you know, didn't grow really. And that's why Intuit moved away from Quicken and moved to QuickBooks and whatnot. Well, I discovered an app that is changing my life and it's all about personal budgeting. So I wanted to share that with you, David. Uh, it's called youneedabudget.com or YNAB, uh, Y-N-A-B. And it's an app you can download on your phone. It is a desktop a website, web app you can use. You can have it for your iPad. And it's like, to me, it's what Quicken could have been. Uh, it aggregates all of your accounts and lets you create a budget for them every month. And it, it's just, it's amazing. I discovered it because I was listening to the Profit First podcast and there was a guest they had on from Latin America who was a Profit First professional who uses that method. But down in Latin America, it's hard to get more than one bank account due to regulations. And so, um, he uses YNAB, you need a budget to create those bank accounts in the app um, because the, the app is like, it's a zero-based budgeting app that where you put money into like digital envelopes. It's like that old envelope method of budgeting. I don't know if you ever use mm -hmm. that, David. But yeah, the idea yeah. is every time money comes into your account, you allocate it into different budget accounts, which are like envelopes. And then you when you spend it, it comes out of those accounts and it rolls forward every month. So it's a very intuitive way of budgeting and like, I'm just super impressed with it. And so for our listeners, if anyone is lis is listening and looking for personal budgeting tools for their clients or themselves, absolutely take a look at it. They're not a sponsor of the show. I just really like the app. So it's funny because uh, you bring them up. I was always familiar with them as like, I was one of those quick and hobbyists, right? Like the, especially in the olden days where you data entry to everything and there was no bank feeds or anything, right? You just typed every check you wrote into Quicken. And, but I always knew about, you need a budget, but I think back in the day, it was more like a movement. It was just some spreadsheet templates, but people used to swear by them. And now it's a real genuine app. Yeah. It started as like an education thing as a, as a book or a, and a method. And now they've built an app around that method and uh, it's pretty awesome. Part of the reason I started using it is because I, I, you know, I do my personal finances in zero. I know lots of people do them in QuickBooks, but I don't know anybody who successfully does personal budgeting <laughs> in those tools because they're not designed for daily budgeting, like adjusting your budget on a daily basis based on your transactions. They're meant for longer term budgeting. And so like, it's not easy to go in and update your budget and try to figure out what's going on and get your family involved in it. Like This is designed for that, for that day-to-day -day stuff. Cool. That, that might help people not be broke. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and now, that's now, now, now there's, see, this is the problem, right? So there's an app that might actually help people not be broke and they get no VC money. Like there's nobody's talking <laughs> about this app. Like nobody, it doesn't even exist. Like, yeah, it's funny. I, I didn't even know about it until I happened to listen to that podcast episode. And it's probably one of the coolest apps that I've run across in honestly years and years and years. Uh, check it out. You need a budget.com. So, uh, you being a millennial, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. So, um, do you have an accountant or bookkeeper at all or do you just use your own? What, I mean, I do my own books. Okay. So- I'm not going to pay somebody. <laughs> okay. Let's let's say you, you were paying somebody as yeah. a millennial. Yeah. Did you know one of three millennials are dissatisfied with their accountant or bookkeeper? So, this is an article in Accountancy Daily. So, if you're a millennial business owner, it was uh, three points lower than if you were not a millennial business owner. And it stems to millennials just are more needy and they really want a, a, an account, a relationship with their account or bookkeeper that really knows their business and is accessible, right? They're looking to – the way I hear that is they want an, advi an advisor, right? Yeah, well, they don't want a bookkeeper or an accountant. They want somebody who advise their business. Or hey, just somebody that responds to their messages. That is definitely <laughs> helpful. Yeah. I think um, you know one of the big complaints about – working with a CPA or an accountant is like they disappear during tax time and you can't get a hold of them. And that's the place to start is just being responsive and offering your clients easy ways to exchange documents and stuff. Actually, I've got a number for you based about that, David. Okay. Let's talk e-signatures, right? So when you sign your tax return, David, 
do you want to have to do it by going to the office and signing with pen on paper? I mean, you're not a millennial, but you know. No, because I used an app and I think they're the firm, the accounting firm is based in Minnesota or something. So yeah. I don't want to have to travel to Minnesota to sign taxes. Well, so this is data from CPA Trendlines on how many firms use digital e-signatures for tax returns slash authorizations. So this is what the tax preparer is supposed to get from you, the client, in order to file the tax return on your behalf. Right, David? And this is uh, this is in CPA Trendlines? Yeah. So it's a survey? It's a survey, yeah. Of their readers? Of, of yeah, of CPA firms. And it's a pretty broad survey that they okay. do, right? So I'm guessing, can I guess? Sure. I'm guessing under 12, 8 to 12% use e-signatures. Oh, no, That's it's it. way better than that. It's not that bad. <laughs> but okay. it's less than 50%. It's 48% of CPA firms are using e-signature tools to have their clients sign tax returns slash authorizations. But 52% do not. So that you know that's still terrible i'm picturing like half yeah so i'm picturing that you know the the cpa i'm the client or cpa sends me the form and i have to print it and sign it and then scan it back to them or they send me the entire tax return in the mail and i have to sign it and send it back right or i have to come to the office and sign it and like there's so many so many good tools now to collect those e signatures in a painless way and it's amazing to me that more firms aren't using them the top tools utilized by firms that are doing e-signatures are Right Signature at 18%, CCH e-signature at 12%, and C Paperless SafeSign at 7%. Wow. If I would have known you were going to bring this article, I deleted an article I had for this week. I saw something about um, it's either 12 or 15% of all small businesses still use a typewriter for some reason in their business. What? Yeah. Oh, man. But I threw the article away. I was like, oh, I guess this really isn't news. Like, well, There's too much other news going on. But <laughs> I think, yeah, we will continue to be shocked by these. Maybe, maybe we'll do that. Maybe that'll be our Christmas episode. We'll just bring it, bring out crazy, crazy uh, stats that we see like this. Maybe, maybe that could be fun. I have other stuff. I don't know what you know, <laughs> other you stuff. Have I have so much. Tell me I have on other it. so much. News. Okay, sell you on it. Um, I there's a really good uh, LinkedIn blog post from Angela Meharg. So. Angela Meharg is a QuickBooks Pro Advisor. She wrote a um, really in-depth article. It's a good read. It's the truth about QuickBooks files. And it's about really the structure of a QuickBooks desktop data file. And what happens is it grows with different file sizes and writing data, removing data when it crashes and it gets damaged. Um, so it's, it's if you really like want to kind of geek out on something, Blake, you should read that this weekend. It's really cool to kind of see that. Obviously, cloud accountants don't have to worry about this. So if you just want to like get in touch the way it used to be in the olden days, right? It's a, But it's a good article. She wrote, it's a really well-written article. But her conclusion, which is interesting, is like kind of on a long enough timeline, your data will crash and is going to be damaged. It's just a fundamental nature of the way these data files are structured and with the size in them. And then I won't even add on, like based on my QA background, you could add 12 transactions to a QuickBooks file. And if you do it the right way with, and have the inventories go negative, you could damage a file on your own just by purposely like doing some crazy stuff in the file, right? So this, this to me, back in the day when I was a pro advisor, this to me was like the thing that blew my mind the most and still does is the fact that so many pro advisors who specialize in desktop QuickBooks spend most of their time just repairing, maintaining database files because the people who built QuickBooks Desktop didn't anticipate people having 20 years of history in a file. And it's just fundamentally, the the database just can't handle getting too big. I mean, the, we're talking about, this, art, this article is about size limits on files. So, like, if you get above 1.25 gigabytes on an enterprise file, you're going to start having corruption and performance issues. And this is even after Intuit moved from CIndex to a true SQL database. So about 10, 12 years, well, more than 12 years ago, it was about 13, 14, 15 years ago, they did move to a SQL database. And so that's, and then they're pushing limits of SQL databases. Right. Right. Well, after, it's because like desktop computers, you know, they're not designed to open up databases that like this large. And it, like, yeah, there was Windows, there was Windows limitations at one right. time. They, they, yeah. Yeah. So I can't believe that articles are still being written about this stuff. So like, what's the takeaway? Is the takeaway to move to online or? <laughs> like, well, these- well, she had two takeaways. One takeaway is Intuit doesn't communicate enough to people that you're at a risk using 
desktop data files that get too big. Yeah. So people should know this way before they get that big. And then the other one is like on the long run of timeline, it's going to get damaged, right? Um, and look at the cost. So she says, quote, it's the choice between pay now or really pay later. In our view, if you opt to use QuickBooks, you're choosing to pay later. What you'll pay for is a new file creation or file reduction every few years to the tune of $2,000 to $20,000, depending on how much historical data you truly need to keep in your production file. That's crazy. Some of this, and this goes back to personal finances, and, and I've gotten in discussions about this with people. This is like conference beer talk, right? People have an irrational emotional attachment to their old financial numbers. Like, like I don't need in my quick because I had Quicken files like that had 15 years of data in it. I'm like, do I really care about how much I spent on coffee nine years ago? Well, if you want to run a trend analysis, you know. <laughs> but like, but do, but do I need every transaction no. or can I just have a summary each year? But people will keep every transaction in QuickBooks for 15 years instead of purging it. You only need a general journal entry every month, maybe just to have the balance. To, yeah, but people it, want it's an irrational. It's an, ira- it's an irrational emotional connection to old data. We're, we're hoarders. I, we're all hoarders. I, I push back a little bit on that and say that like, there's a good reason to have your entire history of sales data for a customer that's been a long-term customer. Or you want to know what they bought, when they bought, especially if you're supporting those products. And the fact that like desktop doesn't have a good way of 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 living long is a problem. All right. So listeners, when was the last time you had to go pull up at at a transaction detail level, transaction that was more than three years old? I'd love for somebody to somebody send us an email, David wrong. tweet this out. Yeah. Tell me when you've done this, you know, without without it being a fraud investigation. Maybe I, I could see on those. But if that's the case, like those people are dumb. You should have purged all your data. Like yeah. <laughs> Well, and here's the thing is if you're getting this big now where the, the quick size of the QuickBooks file is becoming a problem, you're a candidate for online or if you're enterprise, then really you should be on you know, my, my personal view is that the right fit for most QuickBooks Enterprise customers is not QuickBooks Enterprise Desktop. It is an ERP. And there are, you know, NetSuite has come down in price. You've got Intact there. Like those are systems that will scale and they don't have database issues. And it's interesting because when we're at Sage Intact, I talked to uh, one of their marketing people there. And I was just curious, like when somebody decides to like move to a big enterprise level product like that, right? Like a Sage Intact, like how long does it take? And she said, well, it's not long. It takes like three months. Like It's a pretty quick sales cycle because she said by the time people start looking at an ERP product, they have QuickBooks the wheels are falling off because they've, they've ran QuickBooks for an extra three years, like into the ground, right? They, they, they've avoided thinking about moving to enterprise because it's just, it's a nightmare thought, right? It's such a big effort to move. ERP, yeah. That, that usually when they start going to an ERP level product, they, they are in the situations that Angela describes in her blog poster. And it was funny at lunch uh, at QuickBooks or at Intact Advantage, I say, they had tables set up, uh, special tables for, with signs that said, recent QuickBooks graduates, which you know, shows you that's how much their business comes from uh, QuickBooks Enterprise users graduating to an ERP system. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, Intact and QuickBooks at one time had a, a sales agreement, like helping customers migrate over there at one time. I'm going back in, you know, eight, 10 years ago. If, but, if you yeah. ask me, like strategy-wise, QuickBooks should be investing in below QuickBooks Enterprise and let Intact, let NetSuite go for those enterprise customers. Because it's really hard to serve both mid-market businesses like that need that advanced inventory and need uh, all that stuff integrated and, and, and those who don't, right? The smaller businesses who don't. And this, this, if you look at QuickBooks Online Advanced, right, that is an attempt to pull in the enterprise people. But I just don't think that in the end it can work long-term because there's just too much that's still missing from online advance. Like you don't have the advanced inventory. When is that ever going to come? Yeah. I think there's a, a level of like, of pre ERP that are, that's in there where, or, did I say ERP? Yeah. You said ERP. What am I saying? Correctly? Okay. I'm sorry. Um, I, I tied it on the word free or pre. Yeah. It's the same letters. It's backwards, right? <laughs> pre ERP. Okay, don't, that's a horrible, all right. Don't every, nobody should ever pre-ERP. say pre ERP. I like it. It'll mess with your brain. So, um, where you need advanced inventory, you need multiple users, like you need huge data things, but you don't need international locations. You don't need three-dimensional reporting. You don't need some of those other needs. So there's probably somewhere in there for a QuickBooks Online advanced type product that's not going way up market. I have one more bit of app news that we could just toss in here. Let's do that because I still want to talk about Disney. Okay. So, <laughs> so 1Password 
Have you ever used One Password, David? It's primarily like a Mac and iOS thing, so I don't think. Um, no, but I've I've used LastPass, and actually, the one I actually like the best is the one that's built into Firefox. But, oh yeah, well, because you're, you're like the one Firefox user in the world. Well, <laughs> One Password has been around for 14 years, and it's the password manager of choice for many Apple users. They are a big competitor of LastPass, and they today announced, or yesterday, I should say, announced a $200 million Series A round of funding from Accel, the largest single investment in the firm's 35-year history. It's a lot of money for a Series A round of funding, right? Basically, I would say look for 1Password to come aggressively into enterprise and go after LastPass because LastPass has been working in the enterprise for a while, you know, building features that larger businesses need to manage passwords. And uh, whereas 1Password has been focused primarily on consumers, but obviously the money is really in the B2B space. Which ties back to, actually, I have an article that will tie this into because it's going to lead right into Disney. So Matt Path wrote an article about eight trends in the accounting software industry. Mm -hmm. It's a LinkedIn blog post. And one of the things he talks about, one of the the headaches that that cause app fatigue is he calls out too many usernames, too many passwords. Right. Oh, yeah. It just makes it a total nightmare to, to to use all these apps, and so it makes sense. Like if if everybody has that pain, you know. Oh, I, I would never be using a dozen different apps if I had to remember all the passwords, like and write them down in a notebook on my desk. Like it's essential to have a password manager that links into your web browser, like like LastPass or One Password, or like you use David the built-in. Uh, password management in Firefox, it just logs you in automatically, securely. And you only have to remember one password in order to unlock your vault. And it's a problem every single p- person has. But it's amazing. It's, everybody has to it's, it's amazing to me how many people don't use one and they just use variants of passwords or they have some sort of like uh, strategy for, they use the same password and then they add on something to the end for each individual one. But like, that's easy to hack. <laughs> <laughs> password. I, I've always been a fan of passwordcard.org. It's worth checking out. Um, I'm going to get into it, but it's a way for you to print your passwords and have them with you in your wallet on a physical piece of paper. But if somebody found that piece of paper, they would never be able to figure out your password. It's kind of cool. Uh, worth checking out for people. Passwordcard.org um, is that. So anyways, let, let, let's really get into this um, because one of the things in Matt's thing about the, tr- uh, the Disney thing, right? Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> because we're, we're seeing strong the, here with, uh, right, something completely uh, related to accounting. <laughs> okay, so Disney Plus launched. You talked about it. Like Disney Plus launched, right? Uh, yeah. It's super hot. It's their right? it's their own streaming service to like compete against Netflix. Exactly, but to do this, you know, D- Disney has basically pulled all the Disney movies and shows from all the other streaming services. Right. They pulled all the Marvel properties. Yeah. They pulled all the Star Wars properties. Pixar. Right? And they're all on their service, right? And now you're seeing things where, you know, Netflix is going to lose The Office and um, Friends. They're moving to a different one. But apparently Seinfeld's going to be on Netflix now, right? And it's getting, it's kind of getting messy, right? Mm-hmm. And, but the content in is kind of driving which services you're going to subscribe to, right? right. Um, my kids are kind of past the Disney stage, I might not sign up for Disney Plus, but I tell you what, a decade ago, I would have been one of the 10 million people subscribing to Disney Plus. Right. But it has me thinking more about, you know, these apps and the platforms. And right now we live pretty much in an open ecosystem. And streaming was kind of like that. The same show would be on every streaming service at one time. But what happens if some of the major platforms, things start getting exclusive? And, and where it's interesting So to you're me, talking about more broadly or what? More for us in our in our world. And I find it really, really interesting with more of the niche apps. Because if I'm on a timesheet app, it's a commodity or an expense tracking app, right? And let's say it does an exclusive deal with some accounting software package. It doesn't, there's 50 other apps like that. It's not a big deal, right? I can just swap out a timesheet app for a timesheet app. Mm-hmm. But if I'm using more of an industry specific app, so let's be like Clio Law Firm Software or uh, Ecos Brewmaster for my brewery, or I'm using, um, Builder trend for my construction company, right? And I'm really that's the, that's really the software I run my business on. And now all of a sudden there's a deal where that software only works with a certain gen, GL. People are going to move GLs just like they're going to move from Netflix to Disney 
to watch because of the the content that's on that service. Yeah. Right? Uh, wait, wait, wait. You, you just made a statement that it's like impossible to defend. Okay, moving from one general ledger application to another is way more painful than moving from one streaming service to another. Okay, but if you're if the app you're using to run your business, like the real app you're using, which is going to be more of an industry specific niche app, right? It's not the GL, right? I mean, did you, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. GL is a service, right? GLs are going to be there's are kind of Everybody's going to be able to build a GL. Oh, no, I don't think that either. It's I mean, way I, harder. No, no, it's way harder. I get it. I get it. I get it. But years. Like, like, are we going to see a similar could, – could this happen in our space, I guess, right? Where this exclusivity comes like this. I think what could happen is that you won't – well, first of all, QuickBooks Online and Xero's ecosystems are not op- completely open. You have to apply and they can stop – they can deny you. They just happen to be pretty liberal about who they let in. Uh, if they meet the security requirements and whatnot. So it's not like a free-for-all, right? It's an open API, but you still have to get approved to join. I think- Well, the, um, so I'll just, on the QuickBooks side, I can't- uh, it's, um, I think on the zero side, you have to get approved just to like, get to use it. But on the QuickBooks side, anybody can use the API. Now, to get on the store, you have to jump through a little bit of hoops, but it's 100% so, open. So, but anyone can, can yeah. get into the API? There's no, yeah. there's no vetting at all? The, the the only the only the only field that probably can't or will never is price zero. <laughs> but, well, but yeah, so there is a, yeah, there's a way to stop. Yeah, yeah there is yeah. a me- means in which they can stop people yeah. from accessing it. Yeah. So I just think that like what we might see is that we might see more exclusive ser- sets of apps like app stacks. And in that case, I think the the business owners will you know get into that ecosystem that mini you know, app stack and, and they'll either have to be happy with it or they'll go somewhere else. But to like, this is the problem that Netflix has is that there's not much stickiness when it comes to streaming, right? Whereas in the accounting world, in the banking world, there's so much stickiness because it is so painful to rip out a GL or a payroll system or an invoicing system and replace that with something else. Are we seeing the, the pendulum swing a little bit more towards all-in-one platforms again? Or is it going to be closed? Like we're going to choice is going to win in the long run. Is choice going to win, or are closed ecosystems and all-in-one platforms going to win? I think choice wins in the long run because, like, the more apps that you integrate with successfully, the more potential users you have. And like we've seen, closed closed systems uh, or all-in-one solutions don't provide what everybody needs. Right? You get eighty yeah. percent of the functionality, I'm- and you know. I think we're seeing that with streaming because you're already seeing rumblings of like, why do I have, I have to subscribe to like five streaming services now and then trying to find the show I want to watch because it jumps well, around in each service. Like people are starting to rebel against this to where maybe the pendulum, it hasn't swung yet, but it might swing back the other way where people say the streaming services are going to have to be a little bit more open. Think think about it this way, right? A streaming service to me is like a channel that we used to have in cable, right? And, and cable actually is the ultimate all-in-one. Yeah. And nobody likes cable. Because nobody like like it all in one sucks. So with streaming services, you get to pick and choose. And maybe somebody will come up with like a way to like manage all your streaming services. There's already sites where you can go that will tell you what to watch and where you can watch it. Yeah, yeah. So that yeah. solves um, that problem. Use that um, yeah. Actually, Apple TV does that. It, you search for a show and it'll say, oh, you can watch this on Netflix, on Hulu. Xbox does that too. Yeah. yeah. So like it's being solved for. It's, it's, it's an interesting like parallel or comparison. Uh, I guess the the big difference is like it's a lot easier to switch a streaming service. <laughs> Although maybe they'll figure out how to make those more sticky too. You do lose your viewing history if you go somewhere else. Yes, that's true. So I guess on that note, like yeah, we 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 brought the whole show back to Disney after you talked about in the beginning of the episode. So, well, David, uh, it's been great chatting with you, catching up on the news. I'm going to be at Digital CPA conference in Seattle in December. I wanted to make sure that I didn't forget to mention that. Are you going to be anywhere the rest of the year? Are you? I don't think so. I do not think I'm going anywhere. I, I, I might next Thursday, apparently there's like a zero roadshow or zero meetup or there's like QBO in the Valley up in Phoenix. I might try. There's some some sort of get together that's related to our industry in Phoenix next week. I'm, but I just can't get up there on a Thursday night. So I'm hoping maybe I'll meet some people out maybe in Phoenix on Thanksgiving evening when I'm up there. As always, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Blake T. Oliver. Or connect with me on LinkedIn. How about you, David? I'm at David Leary. You can find the Cloud Accounting Podcast on all the socials, including Instagram. Blake finally got we got our Instagram account set up. Blake has been a uh, 
Instagramming away as a true millennial would. David, you have to take a picture of yourself in the closet right now and post it. Everybody wants to see what it looks on like. Instagram? Yeah, do it on Instagram. Right. <laughs> That's coming at you. And right now, don't forget, while David is while David is Instagramming, go to our site and uh, leave a review. Actually, don't go to our site. Go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts is now what it's called. Go to Apple Podcasts or go to what's the other site where people can leave a review, David? Uh, Podchaser. Go to podchaser.com. Leave a the review. nice thing about Podchaser, too, is you can leave reviews there. And you can see in, in all the guests that have ever been on. You can quickly drill down on them and see other podcasts they've been on. And you can access our merch store all on the same site, which is very, very convenient. So check out podchaser.com, leave us a review, and we will read it on the air. Yeah. Right, I don't know how to change to... Oh, maybe I found it. To the Cloud Accounting <laughs> Podcast Instagram. Okay, I found it. Okay, now I got to hit the plus sign to take a picture. Okay, do, you know how to, do you know how to flip the camera around or do you need my we help with make, that, David? Do we want it to be a selfie? Yeah, it should be all a right. selfie of you. I, I've actually never seen what it looks like. I want to see... Oh, hold on, let me make sure there's nothing that should not be in a photo <laughs> that's in the closet. <laughs> this is, I think this is all photo safe type stuff. I think I got it. And then I got to do what? Put some sort of filter on it. All right, I did a black and white filter just for this one. Um, we're going to share this to Facebook too, I guess. Sure. All right. I think I did it. So, so I Instagram from our account. Let's see what so. it looks like. Oh, there you are. I see you. It worked. It's great. Looks good. <laughs> oh, that's great. David, you made my day. On that note, we're out. <laughs>